Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God who has called us to be messengers of Christ's love in the world. Amen. So oftentimes when people hear that I used to be the night minister with San Francisco Night Ministry, they want me to talk to them about all the homeless people that they know we encountered on our walks in the city at night. And it wouldn't take long before they said something like, well, you know, what made them homeless? And surely they would say it was because they chose drugs or alcohol or they made some other bad choices in their life. And the implication was that this was God's way of punishing them. Or we had a crisis telephone line as well, and probably half of the callers at night would call and say, what have I done that God punishes me with this or with that or the other? So often that feeling that God is punishing us when things go wrong, we still hold on to, don't we? Even though clearly... According to the gospel lesson today, we shouldn't. Some years ago, uh, William Sloan Coffin preached a sermon about our temptation to know God's mind and just kind of assume then that God is doing terrible things to us because we're terrible people. And uh, during the years when he was the senior pastor at Riverside Church in New York City, his son Alex was killed in a car accident. Uh, he was driving in a terrible storm. He lost control of the car, and he careened into the waters of Boston Harbor and died. So the following Sunday, he preached about his son's death, and he thanked all of the good folks of his congregation for their messages of condolence and for the food that they brought to his home and for putting an arm on his shoulder when there were no words that could be spoken. But he also got serious. He was angry about all of the people who hinted that Alex's death was God's will. He went on to say this. He said, do you think it was God's will that Alex never fixed that lousy windshield wiper? and that he was probably driving too fast in the storm, and he probably had a few too many frosties? Do you think it was God's will that there were no street lights on that stretch of road and no, no guardrail separating the road from the harbor? The one thing, he said, that should never be said when someone dies is, it is God's will. Because never do we know enough about the circumstances or about God to say that. My own consolation lies in knowing that when the waves closed over the sinking car, God's heart was the first of all of our hearts to break. Sometimes it's hard for us to let God be God. We really want to make sense of senseless tragedies, and we search for reasons even when there are none. 
In the gospel lesson today, Jesus anticipated our questions. Two terrible tragedies that happened in Jerusalem, one in the temple, one by the pool of Siloam. And in the first instance, Pilate, the Roman governor, killed some Galileans who were simply there at the temple to make sacrifices. And then he wanted to mix their blood in with the sacrifices. No doubt this was intended to be a warning to other Jews to remember that Rome was in charge. And then in the other incident, a tower fell on people killing 18, and um, they were, well, everybody was wondering how could something like that happen. So this is the question that Jesus poses. He asked the question that probably was on everybody's minds. Were these Galileans worse sinners than any other Galileans? Or were the people who were killed when the tower collapsed worse offenders than any others living in Jerusalem? And then he answers his own question. And this is what we've got to hang on to. No. But then he goes on and he says, But I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. So it's a little confusing, maybe. It seems at first like Jesus is contradicting himself. First, he makes it clear that there is no rational explanation for these tragedies. He does not say it was God's will. The Galileans killed by Pilate were victims of the Roman government's whim and his desire for control. That's all it was. It could have been anybody sacrificing on that day. And the people killed by the tower, it could have been anyone just standing there. What Jesus is saying about this is this. Don't look for cause and effect explanations. Were those who died worse sinners? No. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Jesus is telling them, really, to turn their attention away from everybody else's life and maybe start looking inwardly at their own. Don't speculate about others. Don't be there almost kind of pointing your finger at the homeless and saying, I bet you made a mistake that I wouldn't make. And so, therefore, you're suffering more than I'm suffering. Jesus is inviting us, whenever we see someone homeless, perhaps, to look into our own lives. What about us? We can spend way too much time trying to explain things, way too much time worrying about other people's lives, that we forget to pay attention to our own life and our own relationship with God. Jesus, in effect, is saying to us today, let these senseless deaths waken something in you. And then he told this great parable, and we have to pay attention to it. In response to those unanswerable questions, in response to the warning when he says, unless you repent, you will perish, he told that parable about the fig tree. So a man or a woman had a fig tree planted in a garden, came looking for fruit, found none, said to the gardener, 
For three years I've come looking for fruit on this tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. It's wasting the soil. It's wasting the air. It's just a waste. So then we think, well, maybe this judgment, this parable is about judgment after all. And um, we could have predicted it even if we remembered John the Baptist's warning at the beginning of the gospel when people came to the Jordan River to be baptized, John called them to repentance. And his harsh words were unrelenting when he said, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It was shortly after he said those words that Jesus came to the Jordan, that he was baptized, that he began his public ministry that lasted for three years. Remember the parable? For three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree. So it's a clue. For three years God has been waiting for people to turn their hearts toward Jesus but there hasn't been much repentance. Instead of repentance, there's been a resistance to Jesus and Jesus' vision of the reign of God. There isn't any fruit on the tree. So the owner says, cut it down. But that's not the end of the parable, right? So maybe that's where we would have ended the parable, but not Jesus. Cut it down seems like the right thing for God to say, but it doesn't happen because the gardener intervenes. And the gardener says, if you give me one more year, if I can dig around the bottom, if I can put manure on it, and if it bears fruit next year, you'll see and you won't cut it down. I kind of like it that there is an urgency and there is that strong sense of hope in the gardener's voice. Give me a year. I'm not willing to give up on this tree. Let's dig around it, loosen the hard soil, fertilize it. Such an earthy story. But it's not a parable about farming. We've already noted the connection between the three years of the parable and the three years of Jesus' ministry. And I hope you can see clearly that in this parable, Jesus is the gardener, isn't he? He refuses to give up on those who are living in his vineyard. So what's the vineyard? Maybe it's the whole earth. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's your life and my life. Jesus is not giving up on any of us, on you, on me, on this congregation, on the whole church, on the whole earth. There's hope in this parable. Don't cut that tree down. But there's also an urgency. Give me one more year. So the question is, could this be the year? We can hear that as a threat. There's not much time left. And in fact, a lot of evangelists take this passage and use it as a threat. Do you know the Kennedy Evangelism Program? 
It's the kind where people knock on the doors of the people in their neighborhood and they say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And so there's that kind of threat there for some people. But Jesus' parable moves more, I think, in the direction of a promise than a threat. I hear Jesus saying, I'm doing everything I can to help this tree live and bear fruit. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to find every way possible to get to hearts of people who are packed down in soil. While we're speculating about why certain people died at Pilate's hands or why others were killed by a falling tower, while we're condemning the homeless, Jesus, the gardener, is working on our hearts. Yes, those stories were real. They were as real as any tragedy that we can name, flood or earthquake or military tyrant, cancer or heart attack or an innocent child caught up in the crossfire of drug warfare or whatever we can imagine. Such realities exist, and they remind us that our time is finite. Stories like these dig at our hearts. They get us to the truth that we can't put everything off until tomorrow. But being scared to death can rob us of our life and hope. Life can then seem utterly arbitrary. If I die, I die. There's nothing I can do about it, so why even try? Let alone for one more year. right? But Jesus, the gardener, wants us to live. His passion marked us in great urgency. So he's reminding us, to take a look at our own lives and to dare ourselves to ask the hard questions like these. Am I being stingy in my love for others? Am I withholding forgiveness for wrongs that have been done to me a long time ago? Do I refuse to believe that I can be forgiven, carrying from year to year a sense of burden and guilt? Am I so busy making a living that I've forgotten to make a life for myself? Am I so busy concerned about other people and their situations that I don't want to look at my own? Jesus digs at us with these questions. At the same time, Jesus digs at our hearts in the outstretched hand of every homeless beggar on the streets and every child not fed. Because Jesus is asking us, what have you done? And what have you left undone? Such questions like the parable of the fig tree move us toward repentance a word that really means to turn around, to believe things can be different, and to trust the one 
who calls us to turn around and will be there even when we fail. We might not do things this way. We'd probably be far more impatient with a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. You've had your chance, we might say. The year has passed, and still God hasn't shaped up. But I'm not God, so I can't put my words in God's mouth. Still the gardener comes, and still the gardener says, One more year, I'll do everything I can to bring this tree back to life. Who knows? asked the gardener, could this be the year for figs? Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, whose patience goes far beyond our erring, be with us this day that we may repent and turn around. Give us the power and the grace to return to you. Give us the courage to admit that we have done wrong and that we have failed to do right. In this year to come, come to us. Dig around our hearts. Open us to your wisdom, your forgiveness, and all the grace that you have to offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.